as we continue together in our time of worship this morning, in response to the love of God that we know to be true, steadfast, unconditional, and with us in spite of tragedy, I invite you to join me for a moment of prayer. God who has taught us to love, your central commandments from the beginning are centered around knowing and loving you. You have revealed to us that in order to truly know you and love you, we have to truly know and love those around us. You push us, challenge us, command us in our love to break barriers and love all unconditionally as you have always loved us. Through it all, Lord, you have continuously loved us without any second thought. From the very beginning, when you saw people disown and deny you time and time again, you still loved us unconditionally. When you created us knowing we would mess up and stray away, and knowing the incarnate Jesus would have to come down and reveal himself in order for us to recognize you again, you still loved us unconditionally. Even when you knew Jesus would have to be crucified with the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, you knew all of this and did it willingly. You knew all of this and still chose to love us unconditionally. You are the God who lays down your life for your beloved creation demonstrating there is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Be with us now, Lord, in, our, in your resurrection and in your spirit, dwelling in each of us, teaching us to love as you do. Help us to repay your love to us through the unconditional love of our neighbors, using all of our heart, our soul, and our minds to in turn demonstrate our love for you. Walk with us, Lord, as we live in your commandments and continue to teach us to love in the midst of it all. It is in your name we pray. Amen. No. 
As the choir makes its way out into the congregation, I'd like to offer a bit of context uh, this morning. You may, if you were re uh, reading ahead or studying ahead, looking at the bulletin today, you may have noticed kind of a head-scratcher in terms of the uh, scripture reference for today. Matthew 26 um, and the, the excerpt that's listed there is actually Jesus confronting Judas just before he begins the institution of the supper by which his disciples would remember him. Uh, scripture is not a mistake. That reference is a mistake for today. Um, I, I noticed it this morning and said, oh my goodness, how did that happen? I looked back at my notes and I could explain all the context of how and why that came to be. I'll just take responsibility. There's a mistake in the bulletin. We will move on. And I'm choosing to believe today that it is no accident. Not entirely. I'll take responsibility for missing that proofreading moment. But as I reflected on where the stated scripture takes us today, I think that is where our time of reflection will land. But before we do, I'd like to share with you our intended reading for today. This is from Matthew chapter 22. 
be reading verses 20, uh, excuse me, 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. As you know, over the fall, we've been reflecting on three good verbs out of every uh, excerpt of scripture that we've shared together and reflected on in morning worship. And today, I thought it very appropriate for us to lean into a verb that's repeated twice explicitly and implied a third time. Love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you, in parentheses, love yourself. Love, love, love. I could end the sermon right there, and most people would think, well, that's a pretty good sermon. And it's true. Love has a resonance all its own. It's one of those words that in many ways eludes an easy sort of definition. It's something you know it when you experience it, you know it when you share it, you know it when you give it, you know it when you receive it, but when asked to define it, it sort of gets beyond our grasp awfully quickly. As I reflected this week on how I might illustrate love, in my life, I had to ask permission, and I had to ask permission from my youngest son, because I try not to refer to my own family in sermons without their consent, and, uh, and I always speak positively, so they know it's going to be positive. But I asked Benjamin, I said, Benjamin, would it be okay if I talked about our kind of good night routine? He thought about it, and he said, yes. So he gave me permission to tell you how every night, sometimes he has to stay awake, sometimes I have to divert uh, from what it is I'm doing. When it's time for bed, um, I walk into his bedroom, and he's brushed his teeth, and his hair is still wet from his evening shower, and I throw the blankets back, and he sleeps with a lot of blankets. And then he wraps himself up in a fleece blanket that's covered with fish. He loves fish. And so, like a burrito, he sort of leaps into the bed, and I sling the blankets back on top of him, and he worms his arms out from under the blankets and holds them out wide, like this. And I lean over and gently sort of put my arms underneath his back, and he, with an uneducated, un untutored in this, knows how to apply just the right pressure in a hug. You know, sometimes they're too tight. 
And sometimes they're too loose. But then there's that just right sort of hug where you know you are held, but you can still move. Importantly, you can still breathe. And there with my head right next to his, my mouth next to his ear, his mouth next to my ear, I breathe out. <sighs> Sometimes for the first time in the whole day. And I can feel his chest <sighs> descend as he exhales. And we stay there for a minute, just together. And then one of us, it doesn't matter which, will say, I love you. And the other one says, I love you. And we stay there for a little while longer. And then there's a recap of the important events of the day, whatever they are. Something that happened in school, something that happened at work. And we linger there for a little while longer. But as a 48, almost 49-year-old man, um, as I bend over and my back starts to ache, I know it's time to stand back up. And when I stand back up, he still clings like a spider monkey to a tree. And so he kind of pulls out of the bed, and I have to tickle him to get him to release, and that's the evening ritual. Now, I tell myself we prioritize that good night ritual because it's so important for him. But I think you have ears to hear the truth. That moment of mutual connection, that's deep and profound, often wordless, is love. That kind of hug, even if you're not a hugger, probably helps you at least understand from my point of view what love looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, and what it requires. A regular daily devotion, sometimes to the same things over and over again. When the scriptures talk about love, sometimes we are tempted to parse out what kind of love we might be talking about. C.S. Lewis helped us understand this, of course, in the New Testament. There are four different words in Greek that we rightly translate love. There's the eros, which is the sort of romantic connection that burns really hot, but then sometimes sort of burns out. There's storge, which is the sort of um, um, kind of fraternal connection that is made between people who share experiences and, and life experiences, um, comrades who share combat together. Uh, think about the seniors who had to graduate in 2020, who never had a graduation ceremony because of COVID. They will always and forever look at one another with that special sort of affection because they shared that experience together. There's philea, which is something of a, of, a, of a brotherly love. And then there's agape. That's the word we like to, to anchor ourselves in as church. This is the love, not the, the greatest love of all, as the song goes, but it is the fullness, the encapsulation of love as a reflection of God's own character. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the Apostle Paul 
writes to the church in Corinth. He doesn't have a tidy definition. Instead, he tells us what it looks like and what it sounds like. Love is patient, he says. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's a lot of verbs to talk about love. Must be something that's more than a feeling, more than the sentiment on the front of a Hallmark card. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he anchors his response in that same word, love. In the traditional prayer that young Jewish children were taught to pray about the nature of God and the nature of the relationship God has struck with us. Love the Lord your God. In Hebrew, the word is ahava, love. And instead of being parsed out like we see in the Greek New Testament, there are whole kind, there are whole different sorts of loves that are caught up in that one word. When Abraham is said to love his son Isaac, it's that word, ahava. When Jonathan loves his friend David and he shows that love to his friend David, it's that same word. There's a whole group of people who can have love for their leader like the Israelites loved their King David. It can even describe political affiliations when Hiram, the king of Tyre, is said to love David. It propels him to give support to David's son, Solomon, to build a temple. Love is a very big word, and in the arms of love, a great deal is embraced. And so we can resonate with Jesus' tricky situation here today in our reading. Jesus just run off some Sadducees who are trying to trick Jesus uh, with the question about the resurrection. And he's sort of run them off. The Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection. They're just trying to trip him up, trying to get him to show some sort of contradiction that they can use to expose him in front of the people. But after the Sadducees leave, there are some Pharisees who descend upon Jesus, also now trying to trick him into giving an incorrect or inappropriate answer. And what better question to ask than what the greatest commandment is? Not only are there the ten really famous ones, there is surrounding all of those ten commandments uh, an entire body of commentary and teaching. How are you going to pick and choose what the greatest commandment is ever? What the most important commandment to maintain might be. But instead of looking to the famous ten, he reminds the people of the covenantal prayer of the nation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then, just not to be outdone, he doesn't pick a superlative, he attaches another commandment to it just to sophisticate our thinking to remind us that faith is not open mouth and drop in expectations faith is a journey 
where we must interpret our lives in multiple directions, in multiple circumstances, at the same time. Faith is walking and chewing gum sometimes. And for those who want a simple answer, Jesus gives them one that is complex. Second to this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so instead of looking at those commandments to have no other gods, not to make idols, not to take the Lord's name in vain, remember, keep the Sabbath day, honor your parents, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, don't covet the things of your neighbor. Jesus looks at a body of commandments like that and recognizes what we have all been able to recognize over time. They gesture very explicitly in the first half of that table of commandments to the love of God. And the second half gives way to the way we love our neighbor. If you take a step back and you listen to them all, you can see how in honoring God, in honoring neighbor, in loving God, in loving neighbor, it is a way of expressing our true identity as bearers of the image of God as well. And we love ourselves. And so in order to show love, in order to live love, we're going to have to step away from that tendency in our 21st century individualized world where love is first about the, how we feel about it. It's more than the warm fuzzies. It's, it's more than just the, uh, the fluttering of butterflies in our stomach. If we read the commandments of Scripture, we see that love is something that is put into action. It means living a certain way. It means being distinguished as a people from the world. And so we look at the Ten Commandments. Loving God means worshiping the one true God and not hedging your bet by making idols somewhere else in the world, whether it's the sun god or the moon god or the god of the harvest or whatever it was the ancient Israelites were dealing with, or to us and not kneeling before the stock market or M1 Abrams tank or any sort of ideology. It means throwing your lot in with the one God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Loving God means honoring God's name, not just in how we speak God's name out into the world, but then also telling the truth about God out in the world. God is not a weapon. God is not a bludgeon. God is not some sort of divine extortioner out there from whom we are trying to extract a certain price or penalty. God is a God who has entered our lives graciously. When we speak of God, that grace is also on our lips. Loving God means remembering that God is the final steward of all of creation. We can only work so long and so hard trying to control every facet of our environment, 
still to discover that we are not, in the end, in control of what happens in our lives and to our lives. When we keep Sabbath, we are finally and fully leaning back and trusting God. And we're taking care of ourselves. We're giving that grace to our neighbors. And so we can go on and on, whether it's, you know, honoring your parents, whether it's not taking a life and holding life as sacred, whether it's not stealing, not betraying our marriages, not envying what other people have. They're all interconnected. Loving God is in action. And our love for God gets expressed in all those ways that we honor God and we honor those who are made in God's image, our neighbor and ourselves. And so, yeah, I think this is probably the most important thing Jesus ever said. Love God and love your neighbor. And he explained that through this lens, every commandment of Scripture, in fact, every Scripture, can be interpreted. Augustine of Hippo told us that if we struggle with interpreting a passage until it can pass through that filter of how does it help us to love God and how does it help us to love our neighbor, we probably have not yet arrived at the correct interpretation. I think he's right. Everything hangs on those loves. But instead of simply saying it and walking away, Jesus shows us what love means. There was a woman who was caught breaking the commandment not to commit adultery. And Jesus extends to her love, forgiveness, and a second chance. They don't condemn you now. I don't either. Go. And leave your sin behind. To those who wanted to know how and where to draw a line on who a neighbor was. You know, we have to love our neighbor, but is she really my neighbor too? We all ask that question. Jesus tells the story of a great Samaritan. Not just good. Oh, he was great. Surprising everyone by crossing every racial and ethnic and cultural and spiritual boundary. And loving with the love and compassion of God to someone who needed that love. He shows us not who our neighbor is, but how to be neighborly. To those who thought that their neighbors were in some way afflicted, untouchable, Jesus would reach out and touch lepers. He would make blind eyes to see, lame legs to walk. Love in all of these ways that Jesus lives his life and acts in his life is something that is made known. And it illuminates for us as we seek to follow him a deep truth. I harvested this from a reading I, I had recently. I'm simply going to offer it to you. It says, the more you love something, the more you become like it. Think about it. I have a friend who loves tennis. He wears tennis stuff now. He reads tennis magazines. He has tennis talk in his mouth. 
He now carries a racket around. His hair looks like a tennis ball, he said. I have another friend who loves surfing. He now dresses in all that surf stuff. He reads surf magazines. He talks like a surfer. He's even starting to smell like seaweed. Everything about him is starting to go that way. But isn't that true with whatever you love? You start moving that way. Some of you love food. Case closed, he said. But that's why the Bible tells us how the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. For wherever you direct your love, you grow more like that. As you direct your love to God, grow in a transformational journey of godliness. As you grow in love toward your neighbor, the barriers that exist between you and others begin to diminish. As you take sometimes that hardest look in the mirror and repeat to yourself, I love you, you are loved. Those barriers are removed with us. But the good news is, at the end of the day, this is not a human project. It is instead a reflection of what God has done for us. We love because God has loved us. And in love became so like us, lived and suffered and wept and died that we might know what love looks like. There's one time Jesus told his friends, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, for her. no accident then that in the bulletin it's Matthew 26 and in verse 26 Jesus in sharing a last meal with his disciples took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body. Take, receive, and eat. Not only a foreshadowing of the lengths to which Jesus would sacrifice to express love to a hurting world, but also the fullest expression of God's own solidarity with us when our lives are broken take it that's what love is 
It's found right there in Jesus' body. As we pray today, as we conclude this time of reflection, it's a time when customarily we invite you to make your offerings, to respond with your gifts. I encourage you to do so. But we judged as a team that given the experience of this week with two losses to death in our congregation, one of a long, long time senior adult member, one of a friend very out of season, cobbled together with what seems like a relentless string of losses, not simply losses of life, but life changes, surgeries, pains, aches. We realize that this body of believers hurts. And we haven't named together those pains or those resources by which we together might seek healing. And so we're going to focus in a time of prayer that Mackenzie's going to lead us in in a minute on naming those pains and offering them to God. Not simply whispering secrets now into the wind, but bringing them where they belong, right here to this community. And together before God, experiencing the gift of those words, the true gift of love, this is my body. Receive. That can be a hard journey to pray like that. I heard very recently an interview with a family down in Florida that was living on one of those kind of barrier islands that was completely wiped out by Hurricane Ian. And they finally had the opportunity to return to the island to survey the damage. And in the interview they said, you know, we don't really want to go back. We don't want to see how, how bad it is. We don't want to know what the damage really is. If I can just sort of live in this insulated place somewhere in a homeless shelter, I think I'll be okay. But if I go back and see what the damage is, then, then it might really hurt. And we also know that in order for the repair, the reconstruction, the renewal to take place, the first step is to take that hard look inward. I invite you to open yourselves up now as we pray. That vulnerable, shy, hidden part of yourself in the presence of a community founded on the sturdy rock of love. And to listen for how the Spirit leads you from pain and our lament to hope. As Christopher said, when we come into church on Sunday mornings, whether we're here in person or if we're joining from afar, we bring our whole week into this space with us. We can come in sad and hurting, 
our past week could have been filled with tragedy and we still come in. And it can be hard to worship with joy when we're really broken inside and feel like we're alone in that. Sometimes what makes us broken feels too scary for us to think about and we'd rather put it to the side. But today we want to acknowledge that. God wants us to share with him what is on our hearts, even if it's painful for us to share because God hears us in our joy and hears us in our pain. God wants us to know that we are not alone. Take a moment and find the piece of paper next near to you and write a utensil and have them ready to go. If you're joining us at home, please do the same. Have a piece of paper and a writing utensil ready to go. Once you're ready, close your eyes or adhere to a posture of prayer that is most comfortable for you and think about your past week, past month, past year. And remember some of the things that have happened that you carry with you in here today that might have made you feel broken. What have you brought to church today? Tell God what has happened and what you are feeling in prayer. And know that those painful things are okay and validated by God. Do this now. side of the paper, take a few moments to write, to draw, or journal about what has made you feel broken or lost. And in this, be healed in the knowledge that God is sitting right next to you in this and understands and hears you. Take a few moments to write now. to the other people who are sitting here around you in this space, in these pews, in this congregation, sharing their burdens with God, just like you are. People in this church family, all of us come to church before God, hurting, and we pray about it right here alongside you. Each one of us here comes with sadness, needs, and sometimes feels broken and alone, just like we do. And none of us are alone. We are united in our love and in who loves us. We are all here because of our common need for love in a broken world and an acknowledgement of God as that love. One of the wonderful things about our church family is that we can sit here with one another in our suffering and know that we are loved and that because God loves us, we care for each other without condition. Our pain is each other's pain. Along with this pain, we see hope. Turn your paper over now to the other side. 
Think about a time someone was there for you when you were hurting and broken. And write or draw about it. It could be a time you were listened to when you were frustrated, given a hug when you were sad, sat beside in the hospital, or encouraged when you felt like there was no hope. It is in recalling these times that we learn how to show love to others, the way that Jesus has taught us, and the way God treasures each of us right now in spite of it all. Take a few moments and write or draw those times, naming them. Remember now how you felt in those moments and how it impacted you, how it encouraged you to keep going. That is where God is found. Now fold your paper in half or a few times over if you would like. In just a moment, you will be invited as you are led to bring up your paper prayers, what is on your heart, and place them in this church that I have here before me. We bring our experiences into this space of worship, whether they be of great love or imaginable tra unimaginable tragedy or both, alongside everyone else among us today. And we share it with God. God treasures it all. This will be a reminder that in this space, our brokenness is heard by God. Our pain is shared by our community here with us. And we are experiencing it all. God is with us. If your space of worship looks like your home today or somewhere afar, store your paper in a place where you can see it and be reminded in hard times of that moment when you were extended selfless love. This could be on your mirror, on your refrigerator, or in a notebook or journal. If you are here and you do not wish to walk up, raise your hand and someone will come to collect your prayer for you. Come all to church this morning, all weak and weary, and place your burdens here before the cross. Jesus' love has already taken care of them. Come and place them as you feel led in the church at this time.
let this be a tangible reminder of the unlimited love that God has that is right here in this community. Would you pray with me, please? God, who is love, to combat these forces that tear us away from hope, you have given us a family sitting right here next to us, before your throne, within your church, sharing our pain together and calling on you for healing. Your church is where we can share our painful experiences with you and with each other, and in response, demonstrate and receive the love we have learned. In the midst of our pain and loss, our community of broken people recognize and choose love, following the example of your son, the one who first taught us to do so. We are empowered to begin letting some of this pain go, leaving it to you, knowing your love reflected in our church family endures forever. Amen. our time a reading from a psalm of comfort psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in right paths for his namesake even though i walk through the darkest valley I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. 